Hey there, it's Mike Tramp, and you're listening to White Line Fever, where rock and roll is still alive like it always has been, and it always will be. Okay, welcome uh, to White Line Fever, episode 74, second part of our interview with Joey Vera, and um, we're talking about uh, Motor Sister, the new project that uh, Joey's involved in. Now, you mentioned uh, the uh, in, in last week that the principal of the band, Jim Wilson, how thrilled he is that um, this is all happening. Um, now, it led me to think, you said he's getting lots of interest and inquiries. Is it a possibility that Mother Superior could reform? Or, and did you consider calling yourselves Mother Superior? Well, um, I don't know uh, about, to answer the first question, I'm not sure uh where Jim's head is at with that. Um the split as far as I understand it wasn't all that amicable. Mm. Although I don't think that Jim is holding any bad feelings against any of the guys. But I think that the way that the group split up was uh um less than favorable. Mm. Um I don't know it's not to say that, that sometime in the future that could change and you know, I mean, certainly for us fans, uh, would love to see Mother Superior back and doing their thing. You know, I mean, that's that would be great for us. Mm. Um, we were going to call this Mother Superior, but um, we ran into a little bit of an, a legal issue with the name. And then once that was sort of brought to light, we sort of said, well, what, maybe we shouldn't call it Mother Superior anyway, because it's isn't this really isn't mother superior mm. um it's something a little bit different even though you're playing the mother superior songs it's uh, like i said before <laughs> we're, we're kind of a tribute band i mean it's a, for lack of a better term I mean. <laughs> uh and so you know that's why we decided to call it motor sister um it, it uh still has a ring to ring to the song and you know it has an association with Motor, Mother Superior, but it's not Mother Superior. It's a little bit different. It's like yeah. A, I don't yeah. know. It's a little different. I mean, the difference, there's a lot of, you'd be aware, there's a lot of supergroups. I saw you on that metal show the other night, and I know Eddie Trunk likes talking about all these supergroups and projects yeah. that never play a show. Um, uh, but this is very different, isn't it? Because, you know, you're, you're actually, as you said at the start of the interview, you, you're actually playing a, someone else's songs with a guy who wrote and performed them originally, it's actually a really u- unique situation. W- where does it go? Like, do you obviously you want to play some shows? Um, do you keep doing uh, putting out covers records of Mother Superior songs, or do you start writing as a group, or where does it go? Yeah, that's and that's a common question right now. Um, you know, what does the future hold, and where's it going? Um, we uh, have talked about that only recently, to be honest with you, because people were asking. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, we had no idea. I mean, we seriously, when this thing, even when we made the record, we didn't know what was going to happen. We just mm. did it and thought it would be a cool thing to share with people, and that was it. And, but this is like blowing up, and people are super stoked and doing a load of, load of the press. We played our first show in Brooklyn in February. And then a couple of weeks ago, we played in L.A. and we played San Francisco. And it's just been like 
it's just been a, a great response to this thing. It's been amazing. And uh, we have um, a couple more shows coming up. We're going to planning some things in the U.S. And uh, we're also doing the uh, the motorboat. Uh, it's like a, a cruise. I read that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we're doing the motorboat cruise in uh, late September. And um, that's going to be amazing. And um, the future is, you know, that we thought we just we had a discussion about how well we all get along. We we respect each other, and we are we all you know we know what this is. We know what the uh, what the working relationship is within Motor Sister, and we have a great time together. We like each other. We're friends. We hang out. So we said, well, why not? Let's, let's, let's see what happens if we get in the studio and uh, rehearsal place and, and write some music, you know? So mm. we're going to attempt to do that. Over oh, wow. Next, that's, that's big news. Yeah. 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 We're going to attempt to do that over the next six to nine months. Uh, just, just, just play some songs. Like no pressure. Like we don't have to make another record. We don't ha- we're not obligated to do anything. Yeah. And we just, if if it if it happens organically the way that the band started, then then great and and who knows what it'll be? Maybe it'll be twelve brand new songs. Maybe it'll be six brand new songs and six more Mother Superior songs. And maybe it'll be one Mother. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't know what it's gonna be. Yeah, yeah, that's great. We better we better play another song. We're gonna play another song. Yep. What what would you like? All right. Yeah, yeah. Let's just do another. Uh, let's do another Motor Sister song. Okay. Let's do Head Hanging Low.
Hey, this is Joey Vera from Armored Saint and Motor Sister and Faith's Warning and just kidding. And you're listening to White Line Fever. Welcome back uh, to White Line Fever. And uh, it's important that I remind you we're on Twitter, WLF Podcast. We are on Facebook. It's just called White Line Fever. And the best place to come and uh, check out everything we're doing is whitelinefever.ning.com. There's a whole heap of other stuff. I'm trying to remember. Um, we're on Stitcher. Uh, please go to uh, iTunes, and when you subscribe, make a comment. Uh, you can even say what sucks about the program. I don't care. Uh, just make some sort of comment because it helps us uh, with uh, people knowing we're about. Okay, um, we're, it's uh, State of Origin starting, and even though I wrote a column saying that I'm not that into State of Origin, it's been interpreted as a column saying, I hate State of Origin. I don't hate State of Origin. Uh, I'm here with Brad Walter. The teams have been named, uh, New South Wales and Queensland. What do you make of them? We're at the Erskineville Hotel, by the way, which is where we previously used to do a program every week with uh, Nick Tedeschi, and he used to turn the music up on us. Anyway, uh, Brad, what do you make of the two teams? Yeah, I think um, I think New South Wales have picked a, a really strong team. It's, it's, I'm really impressed by their bench. Andrew Fafita, Trent Merrin, David Clemmer, and Boyd Corden. I think that's a really powerful bench that New South Wales have got. Um, I think, uh, you know, Laurie Daly stuck loyal with the majority of the side that he's got, but there's six changes from the team that played in Origin 3 last year. Uh, he couldn't find any room for Anthony Watmau and Luke Lewis, um, as well as Josh uh, Reynolds. So that's that, that would um, indicate a change in the guard there. Um, I think there's only three players in the New South Wales team over the age of 30. Uh, this is a team that if they can win and if they can be successful, this is a team that can uh, play for New South Wales for the next five years. You uh, had the team uh, about 12 hours early, Brad. Um, a good journalist never asks another journalist for his source, but uh, you must be pleased with that. Did you get any pushback, any surprises that you uh, had it early? Oh, yeah, there's, a, there's been, a, I suppose, a, there's been a bit of uh, flack um, about you know how that team got out or, or whatever, but you know it's just a matter of um, doing your job and confirming um, you know what's right and making as many phone calls as you can. It's just yeah. usual journalistic practice, and um, yeah, I mean, it's, and it's always satisfying when you do get the team before it's named. Mm. Um, obviously, the big surprise was the omission of Luke Lewis, um, but Laurie Daly explained that today by saying that. Um, he felt with Paul Gallen being out, he needed four front rowers in the team. So Andrew Fafita's come in at the expense of Luke Lewis. You're um, you're talking a bit like we're on New Zealand radio. Uh, so <laughs> there's only you, me, and a few people listening. Um, but how, like, like that is that that sort of yarn is the sort of bread and butter of uh, of journalism, and getting a representative team early is the bread and butter of rugby league journalism. But that has it. Is it as valued? Is that sort of yarn as valued as it used to be back in the day, or more? Is it more? Maybe you know. I don't know. Yeah, it's. I think it's. I think in some ways it's possibly more value because uh, the Sydney Morning Herald put it online at about eight pm on um, Tuesday on Monday night, the night before the team was announced, and um, they had about one and a half thousand. Um, Facebook likes on it and shares, which is a pretty makes it a pretty significant story by their standards. So, um, yeah, it got a lot of traction. and got mentions on the coverage on Triple M and I think on Fox Sports of a Monday night footy game, and, and uh, yeah, it got a big reaction overnight on Monday, and then again, obviously today. So yeah, it's given me a lot of credibility, I suppose. And you're uh, yeah, you, you desperately needed some. Um, <laughs> you're uh, you're um, 
your Isaac Luke story, I believe, about him joining the Warriors was the most shared story in Australia. Is that correct? Yeah, of that particular day. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, it had similar numbers, slightly more, I think, than, um, than than the State of Origin story. But yeah, it was the yeah the most shared um, Facebook story of the day um, amongst uh, of all stories uh, from all media outlets uh, across including Australia. My direction. Yeah, including uh, whatever, whatever else was out there. Um, Tracy Grimshaw falling off a horse, I think, was number three or something. But um, yeah, I mean, I, and I think that's great. It shows you the interest in in um, in sport and in rugby league in particular. Let's let, let's be a bit esoteric. So, the balance between that and taking pride in a number of shares, and the trashier end of the of the digital realm as it is at the moment. So, I take it. You're, you're old school, but you can still translate success from what it used to be, which was basically being the back page lead, to what it is now, which is the number of shares on Facebook. So, again, not the sort of story you're going to be asked on Breakfast Radio New Zealand, question you're going to be asked on Breakfast Radio New Zealand, but where's the line? Where's the line between whoring, online whoring, and, and, the, and what used to be... Uh, a scoop and, and, and the current incarnation of, of that. No, well, actually, what that what it sort of proved to me, uh, and it, I, feel, I feel really good about journalism from the point of view that people uh, people are interested in news stories and breaking breaking news stories is really what people want to read. They they click on it, they it share it. Everything. Yeah, that 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 transcends um, all the other you know so called clickbait and, and yeah. value added. Um, BS that um, people m- maybe value on websites. Um, you know that to me that the Isaac Luke story and, and the naming the Origin team, uh, yeah, as shows to me that that's what you know people want to read breaking news. The way it's been explained to me is that there are certain stories that are work in a newspaper and certain stories that work online. And like for instance, um, a thousand word read on on someone and in our in our little tiny, tiny patch of the world might be a rugby league player. That is going to uh, work well on the paper. It's not going to work well online. A video a video is obviously doesn't work in a paper last time I looked. Maybe in Blade Runner. <laughs> but uh, but that works online. But something like, you know, as again, and our, without uh, diminishing what we do, a rugby league player changing clubs is important to a lot of people. Um, but that is a massive story, and, and that sits above everything. That is going to be big online. It's going to be big in uh, in the paper. But the, the question is that those yards now, and I, I know um, your boss said to me, when was the last time that we had a story where we reported it? Uh, it was we made it look like we knew because we did, but we were no quotes. And then it got confirmed the first thing the next day. Now we're old. And that sort of stuff did happen quite often back in the past, but it's it's very rare now, isn't it? So you know what I mean. So so what are the? And again, I'm not trying to be negative, but what are the aspects of the day-to-day existence of a roundsman that annoy the hell out of you? Like there must be some aspects of being a roundsman today in this new digital world that you uh, you you struggle to deal with. Yeah, well, there's. Probably a lot of the stories that you read and a lot of the uh, interviews with players are, are really bland. 
and there's a expectation that in the old days you'd only have maybe you know we only we would have three broadsheet pages in the Herald of Sport and league might only there might only be one or two league stories. So if you went out and you could get, go to training and you could interview players and if it wasn't a good enough story, it wasn't getting run. in the paper. That was it. It didn't run. They didn't want it. Um, whereas now, they want everything. So yeah. you go out and you basically, you see um, quotes from players who are saying nothing and yeah. their stories are, <laughs> are boring, but they're taking up space on the internet. They're taking that space or, or they're taking eyeballs away from really good news stories and, new, and good news stories and important stories. You know, the podcast has been um, getting too short recently, and what I, what I want to do is actually go back. I've got old cassette tapes of interviews of, like, Alice Cooper and Bon Jovi and all the stuff from the 80s and 90s, and I was thinking, I want to add that stuff. But but in the meantime, uh, talking about the matter matters at hand, so what does that mean for new young reporters? I mean, do they know the difference between a yarn and not a yarn, or do they just kind of go, well, this is a big name, anything he says is, is, is a story? Um, oh, I think it depends on um, who they work for, who they're getting guidance off. But yeah, any journalist who, you know, whether any young reporter who um, has got the potential to be a good journalist will know and should know, you know, when he's got a good news story and when he's just um, padding it out, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, qual- the quality control... Yeah, anyway, we're not going to... I'm not going to carry on like uh, like grandpa and uh, <laughs> these kids today. But um, uh, so um, so we've we've just talked about uh, the uh, two teams. What what do you think will happen next Wednesday? Yeah, a lot of people are thinking that Queensland's going to um, hit back because of the the big names that they've got. I've got a feeling that New South Wales has got a young team. There's a lot of energy. It's particularly on the bench. Uh, Mitchell Pearce has got a point to prove. It's a great redemption story. Trent Hawkinson, by his own admission, has been out of form. Um, but he he played well on this stage last year. Laurie Daly's basically given him, wants him to lead the team around. Um, I, I, I think New South Wales have picked a, a team to win. And I think there's a bit of a, um, you know, I think the Queensland team, uh, besides Greg Inglis, none of those players have enjoyed success at the top level in a grand final or a test match or state of origin for over 12 months. Yeah, that's, well, unless you play for Souths, you can't have enjoyed success in the last 12 months. But, um, I mean, I I saw a thing tonight on 360 where uh, Jonathan Thurston said, well, um, uh, we've been been called Dad's Army. And uh, it's funny, none of the guys now who use that expression would remember the TV show. <laughs> None of them would remember the TV show. They just kind of hear it as like, when we were kids, we heard expressions like, uh, now I'm trying to think of one, uh, uh, um, I'm trying to think, when we were kids, there were expressions that we heard from Dad and Dave. Remember that? Yeah. So all these expressions from like radio serials, and we just took them on as as part of our, you know, just cultural, we absorbed them, but we didn't know what the hell they meant. And Jonathan Thurston wouldn't know who Dad's Army was, would he? He wouldn't know. But, um, but, but he said that they've got a point to prove because of, uh, you know, being viewed as an old team. Um, what do you think? Are, are they, are they an old team? Or, or I mean, Josh McGuire's in the side. No one asks. Does he have to change his country eligibility paper Samoa two weeks ago? Yeah, I think they are. An old team, but they're still a very good team. Um, and it's a, I suppose this series will 
determine whether it's the end for these players, not just for New South Wales, but for Australia as well. Um, yeah, a lot of these players are getting towards maybe the end of their representative careers. Uh, there's some really good young players coming through, and that's what's happened in New South Wales. The, the likes of Josh, um, Josh Jackson and Boyd Cordner, they've they've pushed um, Luke Lewis and Anthony Watman out of the way. Yeah, I thought it was great. Um, where again, I had no plans to go come to the pub tonight. Brad uh, sent me a text, but this is where this is the home of um, White Line Fever. We've, we've recorded a lot of episodes here, but. Um, I thought it was great a week before Origin to see is Jesse the benchmark and it was about a Kiwi player, you know, and that's the biggest change in the game in this part of the world is that the best players, a bunch of players who aren't eligible for Origin beat the cream of those who are 26-12 a couple of weeks ago and Origin, you know, it's always going to engross New South Wales and Queensland but it isn't what it was as far as cornering the market in talent in rugby league, is it? Oh, no, in terms, it's still a massive, massive event. The mm. amount of media um, that were at the New South Wales team announcement today, the, um, the sponsors that were there, the, the way they did the function, it's, it's, um, it's gone to another level, to be honest. And I think this year's series, in terms of TV ratings, that'll be bigger, bigger than it ever was. But what is great is that international football... Is now starting to rival it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and is now and should international football should be above state of origin and it hasn't been for I don't know maybe twenty years and mm. I think it within it is starting to get to the stage where it's on level pegging and hopefully will be above um, above origin football. This is exactly the length of the mid segment of the program that we needed. Thank <laughs> you, Brad. Hopefully we haven't bored you. I don't think we have. Um, I've just got to now. Uh, Put this episode up before the State of Origin game is actually played. Uh, but, um, okay, there's uh, two other things that I need to say at the end of the middle segment. Um, one is that if you go to wildlifefever.ning.com, uh, you can donate anything. Um, like, donate a dollar a month. Uh, we'll mention you. We haven't mentioned you on this program. I haven't taken notes, but we'll mention you. Uh, we'll do anything. We'll play music, whatever you want to hear. Um, and the other thing is that if you go to also on wildlifefever.ning.com, if you click on the Amazon button and you shop on Amazon, buy anything. And back in our day, all we bought on Amazon was uh, books because we had CD Now. That's how long. Oh, that's how old I am. CD Now was where you bought CDs. You bought books on Amazon, and then Amazon bought CD Now. But now you can like buy vibrators on Amazon. So <laughs> you can buy anything on Amazon. So if you anything you buy on Amazon. Like, if you buy, like, a, a vibrator that's, like, eight inches, I get paid for the first half inch. I get a, I get a commission. So, anyway, um, so please uh, click on uh, wildlandfever.ning.com. Uh, either click on uh, Donate or click on Amazon. Help us out. Uh, see you next week. Uh, see you, Brad. Bye, bye, bye.
Hi, this is Michael from Bonafide, and you're listening to White Line Fever. Okay, welcome back to White Line Fever, uh, second part of our interview uh, with uh, Tommy Boyce from the Casanovas. Now, Tommy, you mentioned that everyone's got jobs now, and, and um, what what actually happened after the last record? Can you talk us through, um, you know, how things went with your touring, and 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 then when things sort of quietened down and what you all went and did when that happened and why it happened what, what was the story yeah um well like uh damo well damo got married actually way before all that stuff but he had a kid and um you know which is great and so you know that changes things dramatically for him obviously and um uh jaws you know started working full time um and um i like I like went back to school, got to finish my degree, and um, started working full time as well for a bit there. And then, and then like unfortunately, a while later I got sick. Uh, this bad sort of really bad case of um, hemochromatosis. So I was just feeling really terrible. You know, to give a lot of blood and um, to get rid of the iron overload. So how's that? And um, I don't know. Just just from there on, like things were just kind of slow. Like once they kind of grind to that halt it takes a little bit of um pushing to kind of get get things back on the on track again so you know i didn't really want to do a lot of shows until um we had a record to actually sort of promote so in the last couple of years we've done like two shows we did one last year and one year before so um i'll be really looking forward to when we get the record out definitely doing more shows and obviously coming up to sydney soon and Playing there, so um, yeah, I, I can't wait to just play more. Really, you when when things started, like I mean, you came through around the same time as Airborne. I remember seeing you open for the Donners and see a heap of gigs. What I mean at that point, you you must have thought that you know you did have a few years ahead of you of doing all this full time, and nothing really went wrong, did it? I mean, I, I suppose it just not enough things went right, you know. Um, yeah, look, we 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 sort of had this. Um, the situation with Casanova is we started in 1999 and like we we got a lot of hype really really quickly and um, my view is that the band didn't really wasn't really able to live up to it because we were just too too new well like we hadn't we'd just basically done four rehearsals or something and then played a gig you know yeah yeah <laughs> um, we were just mucking around we had no ambitions whatsoever we just wanted to have fun so um, when it when it you know we sort of end up having too much fun and like like it kind of just blew up re- so quickly like we were playing Meredith festivals and big day outs like within six months of the band's existence do you know what I mean and um like while we were sort of putting on a pretty fun show and stuff the band was still pretty raw and underdone a little bit green and I don't reckon we musically hit our strides until years after that and mm. um the problem is with that is that are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. I don't know what that. Yeah, was. sorry, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, um, your problem is with that is that um, you know, people kind of um, you only sort of get really one chance in a way, you know. Yeah. And so I reckon that like um, so I think someone's trying to call me on this line, but I don't know how to get rid of it. Sorry. That's okay. But yeah, 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 yeah. But um, yeah. So when we were kind of ready, it was I reckon our our window had sort of just shut a little bit. So yeah. And do you think, though, that the people, a lot of people in the industry who are kind of our age, they want there to be a second wave of hard rock desperately, you know what I mean? And they kind of, 
or second or third or whatever it would be up to now. And they kind of, when they see someone, they, they really push it, don't they? You know, they kind of think, well, this is our chance to push uh, this, sort, this sort of music. And the second, the wave hasn't, still hasn't come. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I know. Well, look, um, I don't know. Like, it's an interesting thing. I guess it's just not, like, fashionable at the moment, you know? So you're not going to get a lot of bands doing it. Mm. Um, because, you know, a lot of musicians will follow what's fashionable and stuff. Yeah. So, um, you know, they're, they're rather sort of, they think, well, why would we bother doing that? We're not going to get anywhere commercially doing that. So let's mm. let's be kind of, let's have a, you know, indie pop sound or something instead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and I mean, you know, good on them if they want to do that, but I, I don't know, I personally could never really... Um, take that approach I just have to do what I would like to do you know so yeah, yeah. regardless of what's cool or whatever so yeah let's play another song uh, this time we can play one off uh, the new album Terra Casanova yeah so I don't know maybe Hotel Sunrise is a good choice is there a story behind it yeah actually um, we um, it's a it was written about um, a time when we were really like going on our first tour I think it was like 2003 went up to Sydney to play with the Celebrate Rifles and the Dictators, two of our favourite bands, and um, it was a pretty crazy experience. We stayed at this cheap hotel in Sydney in Newtown called the um, Hotel Sunrise. So, <laughs> yeah, it was sort of... The, the song sort of focuses centred around the, the, the stuff that went on in, in, in that, that tour. <laughs>
Hey, this is Tommy from the Casanovas, and you're on White Line Fever. Okay, welcome back to White Line Fever, the second part of our interview with uh, Dave Ellison of Megadeth. Now, I know everyone um, um, is probably, but I know because I've been reading the stories, listening to the podcast, been hammering you with our original lineup of Megadeth reunion, and they want to talk about um, what what it was like in the '80s. But I actually want to go uh, uh, back to um, uh, um, attitudes and altitude. Because I love that EP, and I just wonder what is happening with that project. Is it is it dead or is it ongoing? What, what's uh, what's happening there? No, we uh, actually Frank and I have been in the studio a lot these past six months, working on on finishing a full length uh, with that really with that for the for the next release, um, which we have. I mean, we are literally finalizing it probably in the next two weeks, getting the final vocals and final bits done on it. And, um, um, uh, so it's, I, I'm, I'm excited about it. There's some great tunes on it. You know, there's just, a, it's just a, this thing that me and Frank just have this whole other side of us and this other just sort of spirit soars when the two of us get together and get in a room and start writing songs together. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like we write them right there in the studio. They just fall off of our guitar necks, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. And, and what's cool about it is, you know, we haven't left our bands. It, it's just, it, it's a, you know, it's kind of a side vanity thing that we do, a vanity project, if you will. And, um, and that's the beauty of it is because we get to, you know, we do what we do with our, in our, you know, in Anthrax and Megadeth. And then when we get together, we have this whole other side of us that, that gets to be exposed. And, uh, um, so it's yeah, it's very very genuine, very pure, and and I think that really comes through with the music. So hopefully we'll have the full length out sometime. You know we're we're just getting busy getting you know finishing it, and then hopefully we can get busy um, working toward the release of that. What do you think of this sort of flood of supergroups? You know, and I guess it's got to the point now where some people just roll their eyes when another one um, comes out, and a lot of these bands never get to play live and. It, I mean, is, is the market flooded? I mean, everyone's. I mean, everyone's got to do what they've got to do to earn a living. But at the moment, it does seem to be a case of having as many side projects as you can. Well, there's. There, it's interesting. There's. You know, me and Frank was not intended as a supergroup. That was literally born out of me and Frank doing some bass clinics together. And we were in London, and I looked over at him. I said, "You know, dude, you and me should really write some of our own songs so we can do these clinics." And have something different to play at them, you know, rather than just make it up an anthrax song. So that's how Altitudes and Attitudes started, is it was for us to create some of our own original content for clinics. And then it spun off into Frank and I going out and hiring a guitar player and a drummer and actually going out and doing doing our own shows together. So as a legitimate act, not as a not as a clinic. Um, you know, I've done you know, there's I have a co- another, you know, all star collective I do called Metal Allegiance. Um, that we've done some shows up here in the in the United States with, and some cruises and things like that. And um, the uh, um, the thing with that that is different is that formed as a collective of guys getting on stage and basically playing the songs out of our record collections when we were teenagers. Yeah. You know, um, it started another one many years ago, back in like two thousand. I think we started one called Hail, and same thing. You know, it was always born out of getting together and playing songs together live. And those are definitely all-star collectives. Um, to put together an original group of famous guys, you know, 
me and Frank are lucky because we really enjoy uh, hanging out together. And we have a very common thing between us that we both like different music outside of thrash metal. And, and, um, and that is really the basis of, of, of the ANA, you know, altitudes and attitude material. Lots of times when these super groups get together, it's based on how is this going to sell? Wouldn't it be great if we could get that guy? And if we could get this guy, then more that would sell even more. And, you know, so lots of times it's done people on, who are famous, they're doing rec- they do records like well, we're having this conversation now, you know? Yeah, and sometimes it's done with like, rather than really making legitimate music you really like, you're really just kind of going, I want to make some new songs in a new setting, or I hate my band, I want to leave my band, or they kicked me out of my band, and I, and I, and I still enjoy being famous, how can I still stay famous, you know? <laughs> so it, to me, it's the cart before the horse, you know? And, and you know, I, when, when, you know when, when Megadeth had, had disbanded back in 2002, a little group, formed around me quite honestly called f5 and you know we never made really big money doing it and all that kind of in fact i told the guys i said dude we're having so much fun doing this let's never lose just the joy we have making music together right just getting together writing tunes making records having fun doing that and you know if we get to go tour if we get to play and we'd shot some videos and this and stuff we had some fun with it but then it came to a certain point where it was like it wasn't enjoyable and we had to stop and step back away from it. And then, and since then we've actually been writing some songs together and putting a few tunes up on the internet and stuff. And then we were back to the joy and the fun of it again. But, um, you know, to me, anytime the, the joy comes out of music, you're better off just stop, man, because it, it, it really kills, it kills the whole thing, you know? Oh, maybe we should play, um, an, uh, altitudes and attitudes song. Eh? Which one, which one should we play? Cool. You know what? Um, I'd say play booze and cigarettes. What a song. What a great song.
I got a white line fever. Going to run land down under. Going to turn around the corner way down yonder. <laughs> and I'm not even going to try to rhyme anymore. <laughs> Michael Monroe here for White Line Fever. You get a chance, come and check us out live. We're going to rock your socks off and whatever, rock like fuck. That's what I say, okay? <laughs> come on down and rock on.